a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, "Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be?" My neighbor. All right, everybody together. Here we go. Hands together. Remember back when you were in Sunday school? This is the church. Here is the steeple. When you open up the church, where's all the people? Okay, let's try it again. Fingers interlock this time. This is the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. There's all the people. Thank you, thank you. I know that's the uh, type of high quality engagement that you've come to expect from our production team, hearkening back all the way to the 1950s. Uh, it's just our way of reminding you that, hey, the church is open and uh, we are open and excited and anxious for you to be joining us, but that does leave us with the question, so where are all the people? Now, no judgment, right? I see you getting a little defensive already, right? I'm not attacking anyone. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. I understand that. Even with schools starting, we realize that you have family and young kids and that you're doing your best to navigate this cultural moment before us. You're trying to make the best decisions for the health and well-being of your family, and we are supportive of that. We want to encourage you about that. And some of you are just like, we don't want to return to church because our kids running around the worship center would just be crazy. It's just easier for them to destroy our home than it would be to try and wrangle them during a church service. Totally with you. We understand. I'm, I'm just dipping our toe in the water to a much larger question, even larger than what's going on here at the porch. As we survey the church in America, I've a number of conversations with other pastors, other church leaders around who are doing things. And, and here's what we're seeing across churches, not just our church, in general in America. Online rates, people tuning in to do probably what you're doing right now, are down some 30% since the pandemic started way back in April or March. And the churches that are reopening, they're seeing an average of 10 to 15% of regular attenders return. Now, I'm not debating whether or not we should be open during the pandemic or not. I'm just trying to point at numbers because these numbers represent people. And by the best calculations that are kind of on the front edge of this, the church in America is missing 55 to 60% of its participation writ large. Now, no spin zone, no fear tactic. This is not a guilt tactic trying to get you to come to church. Nothing but the facts. And here's all I want to say. COVID has changed our world, right? It's changed the way we go to the grocery store. It's changed the activities that we do. Maybe it's affected your business and your income, but it has also drastically affected the church in America. 
And the reality is that normal, or what might feel normal, may not be back for some time. This won't change because school starts. It won't start because we resume kids' ministry or because we start having a live band again. Things have fundamentally changed. And so the question that I want to ask is, so where is the church now? We're starting a new series today called The Art of Neighboring. And concepts and ideas come from a book by that same title. It's actually by a pastor who's local to us just over in Arvada. So he's addressing needs and concerns in our neck of the woods here. And we're going to look at what it means to be a good neighbor and why it's more important now than ever. All right, because I don't know if you know this. Do you know what the second greatest commandment is? Right? What's the first greatest commandment? Let me hear you. Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, strength, depending on which place you're reading it from. But there's a second greatest commandment because Jesus continues that. Do you remember it? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's found in Matthew 22. And this story is really, really powerful because Jesus is asked a question and this is his response. Let's start at verse 34. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Catch this. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, not only to love the Lord your God, but to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all of the Old Testament, everything that's written in the law and the prophets hangs on these two commandments. And we're going to dig deeper into these scriptures and those applications and implications in the next couple weeks. But for today, I want us all to hear this. The church is still and always has been about people. Love God, love people, right? The specific word here happens to be neighbors, and we'll talk more on that implicit context next week, but love God and love people. The whole premise of who we are as the people of God is summed up in that simple idea. And while church attendance may be struggling because of the pandemic, I'm far more concerned that our love for people is drying up in the midst of it. Right, anybody more irritable than normal? Right? Hands up? Just me? Okay, cool. Me neither, right? I'm doing fine. Right, I really can't see if you agree with me or not. So if you're online, type in that chat, let me know. I, but I'm more irritable, it feels like. Just little things. Driving to the store, walking up to the store, forgetting my face back, having, having to go back to the car to get my face mask, to walk around the store, to get all hot and sweaty because I got this thing on my face, right? And I just get frustrated. And it just feels like this is increasing in every area of my life. The, the real truth that I feel like is happening with me is that in spending less time with people, my capacity for grace to give people has also become less. Maybe it's like a muscle that I just am not exercising as much and so it gets sore or atrophied. Or maybe it's like a well that's been running dry because I haven't been spending as much time with people. Matthew 24 says that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
the less time that I spend with people, with people that I love and who encourage me, people that challenge me and stretch me, the more my love for people is seeming to grow a little bit colder. The more I dislike the inconvenience, the more I forget how much I need people, because without people in my life, I, I could become very self-focused, very myopic, right? Like the only thing that matters is me and people, others specifically. The challenge to love other people requires us not to be selfish. It requires us to put aside our own agendas and to be with people to change ourselves in order to grow and make space for that other person. Despite the situation that we're in and that's all around us, we need people. And quite frankly, people need us. And while church attendance may be in decline, that was really never the point anyway. Acts chapter 2 is this beautiful snapshot of the early church. It's the first recorded gatherings of those first followers of Jesus. We often romanticize this time as if we could recreate it somehow. So this passage may be familiar to you, but as we explore it, I, I want us to consider that there's a different emphasis than sometimes we hear. Listen to the low priority on how we might define church songs, preaching, gathering, and the high priority that is placed on people and relationships. Here's Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily of those who were being saved. Now, I admit this starts out a bit churchy, right? Devoted to the apostles' teachings, to teaching, right? Whether that be Bible or preaching, right? They were dedicated to this practice of growing their faith. And I'm not going to tell you today that we shouldn't be doing that, right? Like, I happen to be the one preaching, right? You should absolutely listen. You should tune in to every sermon ever preached, period, Right? I know you all know that. I'm sure you do. You don't miss a podcast. You don't miss an episode. Catch it on YouTube later. Maybe it'll help you fall asleep later tonight, whatever it is, right? But church, we see in this passage, is more than songs and a sermon. Church requires relationships. I'm not saying that the teaching part isn't important. I'm just saying from this passage and from our experience, it isn't the only thing that we should be doing. It shouldn't be the sum total of our definition of church because the rest of the passage is all people, right? Fellowship. It's a super old word for hanging out with people that you care about who have similar life directions and experiences as you. Fellowship is s'mores at the fire pit. It's sharing a campsite. It's sitting on the sidelines of your kids' sporting events and cheering together. It's reconnecting with parents as school resumes. It means being with and loving people. And this is real, and it continues to be a real struggle for us to be, during this pandemic, losing those opportunities. We can't see the people that we want to be with and in the ways that we want to, and we're just beginning to document and understand some of the psychological effects that that's having on us. 
which is why some people are so jonesing to get to church because they want that relational hit, a connection, a conversation, being together. I was thinking this week, do you know what struck me? Well, I was missing having a place for fellowship. I was missing people to connect with, who cared for me and who I cared for. I realized that many, many, many people may not have an avenue for the type and depth of relationship and fellowship that you and I are used to experiencing, even in their pre-COVID world. Many people don't have a community, a faith community, that they can do life with. Which means that the pain that you and I are feeling during this season, they might be feeling all the time. And that's heartbreaking to me. Especially when I filter that through my faith in Jesus that after loving God, loving the people around me is second on the list. And I'm too preoccupied with my own sense of loss to even consider what someone else might be going through. Look, we are living in a season of extreme relationship poverty. And as a result, I find that we're living with not enough empathy and too much apathy. Because relationships are so finicky and because phones and social media dominate the reality of our lives, there's not enough caring for other people and there's too much exhaustion and burnout and going, I just don't care. And the solution has always been our charge as Christ followers. Sometimes I'm worried that we've become a little bit too preoccupied with doing church, with having the service, with having the music, with gathering together, that we haven't always been the church. We haven't always been actively doing the things that Jesus has called us to. We count the people who come to us instead of counting the people that we go to. And if you're like me, we want that slice of our comfort back, not recognizing that there are people in our life who constantly live without the depth of relationship that we experience in our church. Now, it's been buzzing around. It's a great phrase, right? That the church isn't closed. It's just left the building, which is an awesome statement. And I love it so long as it's true. See, if the church has left the building, but that just means that we attend a service like this on your computer screen digitally instead of coming to church physically, but we don't actually do the work of being the church to the people in our lives, then the church didn't leave the building. It's paused. It's on hiatus. It's waiting to resume. On the other hand, perhaps this is the very cultural moment we're watching God redeem it, calling us to pay attention to the relational poverty in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And we're being called, equipped, and challenged by God to stop worrying about our religious celebrations and to start worrying about our mandate to love people. Because while physical, in-person church service have paused, following Jesus hasn't stopped. Being a Christian isn't on pause. Loving God is not waiting to resume. And in a world where there is more fear, more apprehension, more isolation, more people dying and crossing into eternity, the message of Jesus is more important than ever. So if church is going to be different for a while longer... What do we do? 
How do we do this? How do we love people? How do we reach out to our neighbors in the midst of a pandemic? How do we be the church now? I think Acts 2 has some practical advice that we can follow. Let's walk back through the passage we just read. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. How can we be the church right now? First off, we can be united. Unity, right? This is one of the hallmarks of our faith. In the prayer that Jesus prays right before he's taken to the crucifixion, he's praying that we would be one, we, the future church, just as he and the Father are one. The New Testament authors talk about unity. It feels like constantly always driving people to be together instead of separating and leaving and being apart. But today it still seems we're caught more on divisions than we are on what unites us. More on the little things that we disagree with than the big things about God and Jesus and his presence and activity in our lives that we agree on. And this may be too soon, but I'm going to say it anyway. Right? A fellow pastor posted on social media this question. And since social is the only thing that we have, I responded. Here was his question. Would you believe in a God or religion that cares about face masks? Would you believe in a God or in a religion that cares about face masks? His point, as I took it, was face masks and religion don't mix. God doesn't care if you wear a face mask, right? God doesn't care about such trivial things and we should just move on. Now, normally I make it a habit not to get into these kind of Facebook arguments because they're seldom productive, but instead I chose to engage and I just asked a simple question back. I simply asked, would you believe in a God and a people who sacrificed their own comfort for the health and safety of the most vulnerable in society? Because look, I get it. I'm over the face mask debate. You may think it's pointless. You may think there's no science. You may think all the science backs it up. Whatever, I don't care. The point is that we, or God, cares about face masks because the fact is that people who are far from God care about face masks. And hearing Christians use our faith and the Bible to not wear face masks in the midst of a global pandemic is offensive 100% of the time. I don't care which side of the issue you're on, that's not loving people. That's not being united as a group of Christ followers following Jesus. And if we can't get on board with a simple inconvenience for ourselves to love our neighbors, the people around us, by wearing a face mask in public, why would anyone care about our thoughts on a God who loves them when we demonstrate such disregard? We're alienating the people that God has called us to love. But there's this video that I saw. Watch this YouTube link. Read this article. I heard this doctor say, well, I heard this doctor say, which part of this is filling the great command and the great commission? Debate all you want to in your homes. But as Christians, we must be unified and together in supporting the members of our society that are scared and angry and alone and isolated. This is not about you. It's about loving people who need to know that God loves them. And if I can show that I love people by wearing a mask, pointless or not, then sign me up. Because I don't think God cares about masks. I think God cares about people. And at this moment, at this stage in history, that absolutely means face masks. Number two, we can meet people's needs. 
They sold property and possessions and they gave to anyone who had need. Right now, people are hurting. Some are out of jobs, right? The benefits are drying up. Some people need food. I just heard a recent report that said as many as 14 million extra households are food insecure during this pandemic. We can give tangibly to meet those needs, right? If your income has been unaffected by COVID, can you utilize the portions of your budget that you aren't spending at restaurants or entertainment or vacations? And can you allocate portions of that to meet people's needs? Whether that's through your giving here at the porch, right? We've been running a food pantry. We're trying to find more ways to meet people's needs or finding an organization like Feeding America to give to or just walking across the street and finding out if people are okay. One of our jobs as the church of Jesus Christ is to meet people's needs, especially in the middle of strife and conflict like what we're in the middle of now. And you don't even have to leave your house or come to church to do it. You can simply find avenues that you can give and meet the needs of people practically around you. Third thing I see in this passage, we can continue to meet together responsibly. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Again, not a jab at attending church. But if you're the church and the church has left the building, you can still meet with people. Friends, small groups, people from the church, neighbors, co-workers, people who are lonely and hurting in this season, you can gather together. Now, again, responsibly and at the level of your comfort. Some people have never stopped this, right? Guidance said no gatherings over 10, and so they stayed there. They had people over at their house, and they're in the clear. If that's you, great. Keep doing it. Keep finding space and people to invite people over, right? Others of you haven't left your house uh, during this pandemic. You have real concerns, real fears, and that's okay too. But as we've talked about, you still need relationships and you're still the church. The reality is that social distancing does not mean social isolation. So what does that look like for you? If it's not gathering in person, can you step up your social media game? Reach out through DMs to the people that you miss and haven't spoken to for a while. Organize some video chats, a Zoom call. Are you over Zoom? I'm completely over Zoom. But you can't isolate yourself. As the church, we have to be present for people who are isolated in this time. And we can do that safely and humanely and not sacrificing wisdom or love. Fourth, breaking bread. It says they broke bread in their homes and ate together. This phrase appears multiple times. Usually we interpret it to mean the religious celebration of communion, which is good, but it doesn't seem like it quite fits with what we're talking about here. Here, breaking bread literally means sharing food, sharing a meal, right? Like if you go to the store and you're having spaghetti and you buy a giant loaf of Italian bread, but it's just for one, you're just going to eat that thing whole, right? You're not going to cut it in half. There's no reason to break the bread. It's just for one. If you're having strangers over, friends over, then it's more polite that you would break the bread into a couple different chunks so that other people could enjoy it, right? Breaking of bread. The church can still break bread together, right? How do you do that? Invite someone over for dinner. 
If that's not where your comfort level is at, then again, a video chat over a plate, over a meal is completely acceptable. How about a picnic outside, meeting at a park where the kids can play or under a picnic shelter? What about a blanket on your front yard just so that you can engage and be available to your neighbors still socially distanced? Or how about this? We need some meals for the last of our July babies. Ryan and Elizabeth are looking for a couple more meal slots for Canyon and Cassidy. And you can sign up for that at porch.church backslash meals. You can break some bread by delivering a meal completely social distancing friendly. My point with all of these is simply this. If we say the church has left the building, then we still have to keep being the church. Otherwise, we've just stopped attending a religious surface, and it will be no wonder when on the other side of this, our faith and our love has grown cold. Five, as we continue, it says that we're to have glad and sincere hearts. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Look, all of this social isolation and distancing is torturous to our souls. Scripture reminds us at multiple points to guard our hearts. Proverbs says it's the wellspring of our life. So find joy, find gladness. Don't let your love for people grow cold. Guard your heart in these times. Continue to find those things that foster joy and peace in you and do them more, especially when they connect you with people in relationship around you. What's the result of all of these things in Acts chapter 6? The result, it says, is that the church enjoys the favor of all the people. Because they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Look, when the church is the church, people notice. Because they feel God's love through us. They see joy despite all that's wrong. They notice that we care when no one else does, that we check in even when we're on a lockdown and they see our desire to care for them and it comes from a sincere place and the result of that is they may not care much for church they certainly don't like christians they're unsure about jesus and if there even is a god but they like you they know you they can trust you they know that they can reach out to you when something goes wrong being a good neighbor is essential to our faith And while this pandemic has affected everything that we do in every area of our life, it cannot stop us from being the church. So if the church has left the building, that means we're still the church. And our job might have gotten just a little bit harder, but maybe a little bit more true to who we're called to actually be. So as we talk over these next weeks, we're going to talk about being a good neighbor, even during a pandemic. And I hope that you'll be challenged to think about the role that faith and that church play in your life and how we can practically live out the great commandment, the great commission, and of course, the second great commandment. You aren't alone in this. We are all struggling together. And I firmly believe that God is using even this for our good. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for God's church. It's going to be good for the people that we are called to love. We must simply not grow weary in doing good, but to continue pressing on in our faith, to continue being the people of God and the presence of God everywhere that we are. 
That's my prayer for you this week. That's my prayer for us this series. And as we dig into the scripture more, I hope that we learn to be better and better neighbors to the world around us. Be blessed this week.